Hi guys, I don't normally run ads on this show, but this is the family business, luggagewarehouse.co.za. My dad, my brother, my stepbrother, my uncle have all worked for Luggage Warehouse directly, and I've done freelance brand strategy for them for years now. So it supports the whole family. It supports this show indirectly. So if you're looking for luggage, accessories, uh, handbags, and fashion stuff, even you can go to luggagewarehouse.co.za. And there are two products that I want to pull out for you here. Number one being Builderset, which allows you to create your own combination of large, small, medium, check-in, hand luggage, all that stuff. And it gives you a discount for each additional bag you buy up to a certain limit, I think. But you can get great discounts on big collections of big luggage. So if you're thinking of immigrating, it's the perfect way to kind of gear up for that. And the second thing I want to pull out is Luggage Glove, which is a protective sleeve that my dad invented. My brother has kind of perfected over the years. It's a thick 3D fabric mesh sleeve that pulls over your um, over your luggage and then locks closed. It's got a TSA lock. It's got holes for the handles, so it's quite convenient. It's not like single-use plastic wraps because you don't have to cut open a hole in the plastic to use the handle you can take it off easily it's got a combination lock and it's much more sustainable because you're not just murdering turtles with single-use plastic uh, but it makes the bag much more difficult to get into and it protects it from bumps and scrapes and if you are emigrating then those are two important things because you might be carrying actual valuables in your check-in luggage and because they're going to be heavy and you might be going a long distance they can pick up some major damage so luggage gloves uh, do a great job of protecting your luggage in the long term that's it for my pitch, luggagewarehouse.co.za. There's a link in the show notes. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the South African Expat Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Vanka, and this is the podcast for the immigration curious South African. Today, we are chatting to Nicole and Warren, who are based in the UK. They moved there from South Africa a couple of years ago, I believe, and they had a particularly easy entry into the UK because they were sponsored by their companies. So we're going to gloss over that whole section because their visa issues were more or less sorted out by their, their work. They were sponsored and not really worth rehashing. Uh, Nicole and Warren, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having us. Hey, John. So full disclosure, Nicole and Warren are very good friends and I'm just you know abusing our friendship by having them come onto an interview at seven o'clock at night, their side. Thanks, guys. No problems. Although seven o'clock in summer is uh, still pretty sunny on your side. It is light and it's actually a beautiful day. So we're, we're happy. Shorts and t-shirt time. Uh, what time is the sun going down there right now? I think it's about between half past eight and quarter to nine, somewhere around there. Nice. So it's really nice. Like I, I must say that summer in the UK is really a, a good time. It's just light and everything feels better. Right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into it. You guys are both pretty highly skilled individuals and you work for fairly large companies that sponsored your visas. But did you have an ancestral visa route into the country if it wasn't for that? We did explore it, but I think both of us didn't qualify because I think our grand, we, it was like great grandparents rather than grandparents. So our only route to the UK was through yeah, corporate sponsorship. Right, I see. Okay, so reeling back to the actual list of questions I have, where in South Africa did you live? So uh, we were originally from Cape Town. We're both originally from Cape Town, but we had moved to Johannesburg for my job uh, in 2016. And then we'd been living in Joburg since 2016 until we left South Africa in July 2019. And, and we often have this discussion of people, but 
if we had to go back, like Joburg would be the place, like over Cape Town. We love Johannesburg. Okay. You know, it's funny to me how how polarizing Joburg is. I've got a, and for me, it's more of the, I've noticed it's my more extroverted friends who love Joburg because it's all about, you know, talking to people and, and hanging out and being social. And Cape Town's more for the, uh, curmudgeons i guess I, yeah. i'm not sure no yeah we we had a really good time in johannesburg made really good friends and yeah it was just a good good time good life cool so what made you decide then to move to the uk well i think the the move so what happened was i was offered a, a position at work which was a quite a big growth step for me and mm-hmm. at my current role in south africa like that was the, the that was the top of the kind of the the corporate ladder I was going to get to. So without leaving the country, that was as far as I was going to go. So it was a good opportunity because it was a nice growth move, but I had to move to to the UK. I see. And Nicole, you're kind of upwardly mobile. Yeah, I guess from my side, um, you know, Warren was moving to the UK. So I think we decided as a family that it made sense for us for Warren to accept the role. And then obviously I had to look for a role in the UK and uh, luckily, I work for a global business, so I was able to sort of look for roles that were in the company that I already worked for. So that was really beneficial. I think the one thing or the one learning that I had of this whole experience in terms of changing roles and moving countries was that it was maybe not as easy an entry into a new role for me as what it was for Warren. And I think that was purely because I wasn't moving in an like in a in a growth role I was looking for a role that obviously was right for my career but it needed to time in the right way so that we moved as a family right so as a result of that I've sort of had a couple of I guess career not career missteps but maybe you know not ideal a zigzag yeah like not not an ideal uh, job for me Mm-hmm. just based on the fact that it wasn't yeah that it was harder for me to move yeah to find the right st- the right fit and are you still in that position or has that changed since you've moved i'm sort of still in the position i have <laughs> it's a bit of a mixed answer um because i actually then ended up finding a secondment in the company that i work for which has made me put me into a much better suited role Unfortunately, that is not a permanent situation. So at the end of this year, I will need to find something that's sort of a more permanent situation for the position I find myself in. I'm not like very concerned about it. I think it will be okay. Obviously, COVID didn't help mm-hmm. with all of this. But I guess, right. yeah, I guess my le- the learning was that obviously because Warren was moving for a new, you know, was moving in the same company, but for a growth position, you know, he'd been promoted into a role. I was looking for a completely new role. And so because I was looking for that new role, it was, I had a couple of missteps in terms of finding the ideal fit. All right. So when did you guys land in the UK and where did you land? Did you rent before when you arrived or which specific part? I think you're in London, right? Yeah. So we... I guess, I mean, we were really fortunate in that, and I think you mentioned this earlier, that the companies that we work for sponsored us and and really actually paid for a lot of the the move for us. Mm -hmm. So we arrived at the end of July 2019. The company I work for put us up in accommodation for six weeks. So we had sort of six weeks paid accommodation. 
which was wow. actually rather funny because they put us up in a 40 square meter apartment on Tottenham Court Road, which was <laughs> quite entertaining. I, I understand the 40 square meters being very small, but what is the relevance of Tottenham Court Road? It's like the, one of the busiest shopping streets in London, in the center of oh, London. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, and we had our dog with us. Anyway, um, right. so it was, yeah, so we were very fortunate that we, you know, that we landed and... Yeah, and and that was covered and gave us some time to find, you know, our where we wanted to live more permanently. Yeah, it made it made the landing into into the UK really easy. Right. Uh, how how long, how many years have you been there now? So just over two years now. Just uh, over two. Yeah. And so they gave you a relocation budget because I've chatted to a um, another couple who had a re- relocation budget from the company that sponsored them, and it covered you know, flights, moving a certain amount of goods. Uh, I'm not sure if they got accommodation when they when they arrived, but it also covered things like if you don't like it and you go back. No, no, they, it covered trips back home to visit family kind of once a year. Yeah. But part of the deal was that if they did decide, no, it's not for me, then they would have to pay all that money back. <laughs> so a little bit dodgy. So, yeah, so I think um, Warren's company wasn't as, they didn't really have any specifics around having to pay money back. My contract was that I had to stay with the company for 12 months um, so that I didn't have to pay any money back. Otherwise, it would have been prorated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we we sort of, I got, we got obviously the flights and then I had an expense account. I can't even remember how much it was. I think it was like. Just, I can't remember. It was like ten thousand or twelve thousand pounds or something. Wow. I can't yep. remember. Um, and then and then they would pay for a container. And then Warren also had an expense account from his company. So I think what was quite lucky was that we sort of we divided it up according to the two companies, obviously to make sure. it fair um, for both businesses. But then we also, you know, like we didn't incur any personal expenses as a result of our move, which we were. Yeah. I think it's very blessed about because that's obviously not been the experience of a lot of the other people we know. Sure. You mentioned that you have a dog. I know the dog in question, he's a rather large one. And did, did was Tyron's relocation also covered by the, the relocation budget? Yeah, that was all, that was all covered as well. So we were also, once again, super fortunate that that kind of whole process was taken care of, mm. but so we still had to do all the steps. So getting, kind of his vaccination and rabies jabs and kind of all that. So, but luckily for us, once again, it was all covered in terms of a cost point of view. Was the, just focusing on that for a second, was the experience with the company that helped you with uh, Tyron's relocation, was it good? We used a company called Animal Travel Services and look, I'll totally recommend them. They're really good. That kind of everything's, I think they, they obviously do this a lot. So everything's kind of laid out for you exactly what's going to happen. But I think, naturally for people moving their dogs it's quite a stress point i feel like that's one of the biggest mm. kind of for us that was one of the kind of big uncertainties like how is that going to go how is he going to travel is he going to get there okay sure. and it actually happened the day we were flying he was supposed to be on the same flight as us obviously in the the hold mm-hmm. um but he got bumped off so we found out at the airport boarding the flight that oh he's not going to be on this flight and he's actually going to be on a later flight Probably tomorrow, we're not sure. Oh, wow. But they kind of sorted that all out. They put him up in a night, in a kennel, so and he flew the next day. So it worked all worked out okay. But yeah, that's just good communication kind of kept us in the loop the whole way. Right, right. So once you eventually figured out where you wanted to, to live, uh, where have you ended up now? Where do you guys stay within London? So we first... Um, we first went and stayed in Teddington, which is outside... 
yeah, just outside Twickenham. I can't believe there's a place called Teddington. There uh, is a place called Teddington. That's where the teddy bear um, was invented. No, it's not. No, it's not. But I just, we used to say that because it sounds like a cool story. Anyway, we were interested in Teddington, and I guess that was like a learning experience in itself. It was great that we, you know, I guess one thing that we did is we signed a contract, a lease contract with a break clause that allowed us to move. We could move after six months. And then we, yeah, so we weren't sort of tied into a very long lease agreement. Right. And then we also, I guess, yeah, a, a learning from that was that we actually should have been somewhere closer to work. Um, obviously, at the time, everybody was still going to the office. My commute ended up being what I thought was going to be 50 minutes to an hour, ended up being like an hour and 20 minutes door to door. You're doing that twice a day. Right. That's a pretty long commute. And it's, you know, it's not nice getting home at eight o'clock at night. So I think that was like the one learning for us was, you know, make sure that the commute for us actually made sense. But we've now recently just purchased a house in St. Albans, which is in northwest London, not even London, northwest England. Right. Let's try that again. It's in East England. Uh, it's in Hertfordshire. And yeah, it's it's a really good commuter town. So it's not in, in London. So we have like, it's a big enough town that there's a lot of stuff to do and there's a movie cinema and shops and that kind of thing but we have a great commuter train which is 17 minutes into king's cross oh, wow. yeah makes it a really easy quick way to get into into london if we need to mm-hmm. and yeah it just makes sense for us I, I, and i think as south africans we think oh we commute to work an hour a day sitting in our car commuting to work in the uk doing public transport it, it's quite a big like kind of sensory overload mm. so it really it's tiring. I've, we found it way more tiring than tra- traveling like by car. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I experienced the same thing in Japan. It's just, especially maybe Japan's even more crazy. It's just like the the pace and the 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 schedule and running through crowds of people and all that kind of thing. It can get you after a while. Yeah, yeah. I found it quite exhausting. Like I was really tired after having been exposed to so many people on an ongoing basis day on day like it was just yeah I, I got to the point where I was like didn't want to talk to anyone when I landed in when I landed in Japan my first impression after like a couple of weeks was just I see more people on a single day that I would see in a year in Cape Town like it's Absolutely. just it's just an overload you know yeah. I'm sure London is similar it is but that's the thing it's just like you you leave the train in the in the evening it's just like absolutely exhausted because it's just that constant like taking in new information and hmm. yeah, dealing with the kind of smells and sounds and sights of, of traveling. Right. I guess before we move on to the adjusting to a new life, the only question that I'll ask you from the decision and preparation section is mm-hmm. the, the move itself obviously incurs a fair amount of stress. I mean, you're moving yourselves, your pets, your belongings, you're trying to find a new place, you're adjusting to a new job and all that kind of thing. Do you have any tips for dealing with the stress of that relocation process? It's hard to say because I think for us, we actually, we were in such a fortunate position mm-hmm. where I think a lot of the stress is obviously, you know, like when you're paying for something, it's a lot more stressful mm-hmm. than if somebody else is paying for it. And then I also think we had, we also had a lot of support from our two businesses in terms of like organizing things for us. So things like we didn't have to organize the shippers. They just came to us, right? We didn't have to contact anybody. They just, they had companies that they worked with mm-hmm. that contacted us. So a lot of the admin stress was, didn't exist. Right. I think the most stressful thing for us was obviously our dog and sending our dog. Like that was, he's our child. Mm-hmm. So that was the biggest and most stressful thing for us. And 
and I think for me, finding a, a role or job that timed itself with the actual move date, I think those were like the two biggest stresses that we had. Yeah. Right. And obviously leaving behind family, right, and friends. Yeah. Yeah. Like, That's actually something I did skip over, but where people generally, I mean, look, everyone I've spoken to has said that their family and friends were supportive of their decision, but let's rather focus on how difficult was it leaving family and friends behind? I think that's probably that's probably the most difficult thing, right? Because you're stepping into the unknown, but you and you're leaving all your comforts and kind of all that behind. But you're leaving family and friends, like bonds, relationships. It's, that that is the I think that's the most difficult thing of the whole mm. of the whole process. Sure. I think it's also different if you like what mindset you're going with, right? So if you're going with the mindset that you're going to go and try this out in the UK and you're going to move to you know, maybe with the thought of it doesn't work out, you're going to come home. Mm-hmm. That, that's a different mindset, right? Like Warren and I were, we were immigrating. Like we, we were not, there was no plan to come back. Right. So that there's an, there's an element of finality. Yeah. Finality yeah. in that whole thing. But in the same breath, nothing is forever. Like if we wanted to go back, we, we could, like we know that is always an option. Sure. Did you, had either of you lived in the UK before you moved? Yeah. I lived here for two years three years in 2005 <laughs> right yeah and yeah i'd spend long amounts of time here like three to six months for work at like, at like doing little stints so i think we had a good idea of what we were getting into right okay yeah. yep. also we have a lot of friends in the uk so it, it yeah. was there was it wasn't like we were sort of going to a place where we didn't know anyone yeah and i, I think that friends piece is part partly what gave it what kind of made the uk the ultimate decision for us because there were roles, we were there were positions in other countries, and we thought the UK could be the easiest transition because we already had like a support base and good friends mm. um, in the UK. Right. So, uh, moving on to the adjusting to a new life section, has living in the UK met your expectations of what what you thought when you moved there? I think yes and no. I mean, obviously, COVID has had a, a massive impact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've moved to a new country. Um, obviously, we have. You know, we have friends that that live here, but some of them don't live close to us. Some of them do. So I think we haven't been able to maybe integrate ourselves into the community as much as what we probably would have liked because we've had to be up. We've been isolating for pretty much our entire time here. Right. <laughs> like we arrived in end of July. We started, we went into lockdown at the end of February. <laughs> so sure. we basically had six months and then COVID. Oh, like we actually always joke because we say we moved to the UK so we can travel Europe and go to lots of live music gigs. <laughs> I've had that opportunity yet, right? So, yeah, yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a downer. No, absolutely, it's been a, a massive pause. In fact, I did a interview with um, Jason from from Dublin, and he moved there by pressing the expatriation button in the middle of the the pandemic. And since he's been there, like he he honestly couldn't answer that many of my questions because he just hasn't been allowed to go anywhere and see anything. You know, yeah. it's been, it's been difficult. Yeah. So what are the best things about your new home? What are the best things about living in London? I think for me, it's about, well, it's about like, I have a very close friend um, that lives three minutes away from me who I've known for 37 years. So one of the big, best things about living in England is, being close to her mm-hmm. and her family and her children mm-hmm. and also being close to Ed and Shelley and our godchild. So mm-hmm. for me, that's pretty special, but I think from <laughs> that's more on the friend side. I think from a, from a environment perspective, I mean, like being able to 
like safety mm-hmm. is yeah. it's been a big thing like i can walk from the train station to our house at 10 11 o'clock at night and i wouldn't be worried that something's going to happen to me right. so just like being able to walk the streets yep. <laughs> has been pretty yeah has been really cool i, I was going to say something similar to that like to me one of the best things is we're situated like close to a high street with lots of restaurants and bars and like a nightlife and like we'll often just walk to dinner have dinner have a few drinks meet up with friends walk home so it's just it's that kind of lifestyle where sure. you can you don't have to be driving around even though as south africans the first thing we bought was a car but <laughs> we but like walking, that was only because i refused uh, to, i refused to, to take public transport to go grocery shopping <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's it's that kind of lifestyle like it feels quite european where you are walking around sitting outside right yeah less so when it's freezing cold but especially right now it's just like it's that's and it, it feels good it feels it feels really nice and then what are some of the some of the less good things i've written here worst things about living in london what are the worst things i think the like the weather <laughs> yeah w- w- weather is like winter is long winter feels long mm-hmm. but in but in the but in the same breath like in the UK, like the seasons are definitely defined. Like, you know, you're in winter because yeah. it's freezing cold and it's snowing and like you're wearing the thickest jacket you've got. And it's summer. It's actually, I don't, I would say it's not weather. It's lack of light. Yeah. Because what happens is that for like six months of the year, it's getting, it it's, gets dark anywhere between 4 and 7 p.m. And it only gets light again at like, nine mm. ten o'clock in the sure. morning. so your your days get so much shorter and even when it is light there's no sunshine so it gets it can like get a little bit depressing but gloomy right. and gloomy and all yeah. you and I, I remember saying to warren because we've had a particularly bad summer this summer we've had a lot of rain mm-hmm. and i just said to warren like all I want is like hot sun on my skin right <laughs> and because you only get that like two three yeah, you only really get that two, three weeks a year. You start to crave that, you know, that African sunshine on your skin that like warms you. You don't, yeah. you just, even when it is sunny, it, sometimes it, it's not. It doesn't saturate you the way it does in South Africa where you'd like, you get to the point where you're just like, I'm done. <laughs> but that's why travel is there, right? So you can, yep. well, now that we're allowed to again, but yeah, being able to travel. And, and vitamin D supplements are your friend in the UK. I've heard vitamin D and then Shelly mentioned sad lamps. Sad? Oh, with a second kind of mimics Seasonal the... affectation yes. disorder lamps. I had one of those. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't really, for me personally, it wasn't, yeah. it, was, it wasn't as effective. But yes, you can get sad lamps yeah. to yeah. mimic the sunshine. Yeah, but vitamin D, good tip, I think. I think, well, to be honest, I think everyone's pretty much, um, even in South Africa during winter, people are deficient in that anyway. Oh, and the best one of the best things is that all your houses are all your houses are heating, so there's no like freezing cold winter because you have heating. And I often I often laugh because I think like in South Africa it gets almost as cold as what it does in the UK, but there's no central heating, right? So or insulation. You're meant to brave the one degree, <laughs> totally, and and get into bed because it's just too cold to be anywhere else. Mm. Where like because you've almost got climate control in your house that's actually quite pleasant sure do you feel like there's almost a is there a a cultural or a narrative 
like sense to the weather in England that it almost feels quaint as opposed to like, you know, it's, it's chilly old England and there's a little bit of snow in the North and, you know, we're all rushing about in merry old London or, or is it just, you know, gloomy and miserable and there's a giant rat eating a cat or something. I think Christmas is that because Christmas is snowy and it's father Christmas and it feels, mm. it feels Christmassy, but it does get a bit miserable right. in terms of, like you waiting for the, the sun to in come In the up. depths of January and February, it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's terrible. Right. Okay. So yeah, the oft-repeated weather issue is definitely definitely a thing. So uh, back to South Africa for a second, um, besides that sunlight and, and good weather, and let's also exclude friends and family, um, what do you miss about South Africa? I think we missed our lifestyle in South Africa for a long time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think just the... I th- it, it comes back to like having that sense of community around you and familiarity of things around you where you don't have, you don't necessarily have that in the UK. So it's like very small stuff. Like, you know, you go to the shop and you know exactly what you want to buy because you know the brand that you would buy. Sure. And somebody that's new, you don't necessarily know that. So everything is almost like a decision and an effort. Right. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, we, Warren and I really missed that. You know, we missed being able to phone friends on a Wednesday night and go for a drink and know what restaurant we want to go to and have like our favorite haunts and the favorite places right. that we want to go. Right. And you've almost got to sort of like recreate all of that. And that can be quite tiring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of mental load. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just really missing all of that. Sure. Uh, Warren, anything specific from you? To be honest, and this this is so so like arbitrary and random as well. But it's also it's the small things like in South Africa getting a garden service. Mm-hmm. Like it's easy, you can do it. It's affordable, mm-hmm. and everyone does it. Having your house clean, yeah. Like a housekeeper, like you, everyone does it. It's easy. In the UK, it's a little bit more effort. Mm-hmm. It's more expensive. It's just to get people to to do things is more difficult. Sure. Um, over here, we're in South Africa, obviously because of everything. The kind of the 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 economics of everything. It's just, there's always someone willing to do something for you yeah. for, for to, if he's paid when the UK, it's not like that. Right. So like a great example is the house that we bought needed to be renovated and, and finding suppliers that will do renovations for you is expensive. And a lot of people, uh, we're also really inconsistent. And then a lot of people just won't, nobody's hungry for the work, right? Like there are so many people that just won't call you back. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Huh. Do you feel like your? I feel like this obvious answer is going to be obvious. Do you feel like your buying power or overall wealth has increased since moving? I think that's relative. Look, I think London is an expensive city. Mm-hmm. Like you need to be earning decent like salaries to to if, to have a comfortable life in in London. I think we're very lucky that we so live, so don't live in London. We live sorry, in England, or in the UK. <laughs> like, but I think we are lucky that we can afford to have a comfortable life. So yes, I think the answer is yes for us, but to live in the UK, you need to, you need to have money to really enjoy it. Yeah. And London is its own animal. I mean, I, I did a, what, half a year as a student teacher. And every time I went down to London from Norfolk, like all of the money disappears. It's like a black hole for cash. It's crazy. So easy. Yeah. So easy. I mean, I, I'll give you an example. Like we, I had to go in, I, we're actually going to Greece at the end of the year, uh, end of the month, inshallah. And <laughs> <laughs> I had to go in a visa appointment, bane of my life, to get a Schengen visa. And I took a train from our house to Farringdon and then from Farringdon to Moorgate. 
and it cost me twenty pounds to take that train return to St Albans, right? Just for the day. Yeah, yeah, that's so like, and that's before I've done anything else. That's just I've just paid for my train ticket. Sure. So it's expensive, right? Like that's that's a, even in the UK, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. think and speaking about Transport that, is really as a, as a South African, it takes a long time to stop converting. Right. And I even do it even do it now, and it'll drive you nuts. And I think in the beginning, when you first get to the UK, you 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 look at twenty pounds in your head, you're going it's twenty rand. So we'd go for drinks, and the bill would come, and it'd be like a hundred pounds. You'd be like, "Cool, don't worry, I got this. It's a hundred a hundred rand." But in the meantime, it's two thousand rand, and you, at the end of the night, you go, "Sherbet, I've just spent like a ton of money, yeah, rand wise." Because you're thinking that the numbers are small, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, like like the pound store, one pound for a bar of chocolate. You're like, oh, one pound, one. It's it's not. It's twenty rand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So I think I mean in terms of like an adjustment to lifestyle, definitely adjustment to lifestyle because we don't have as much help, right? Like yeah. we used to have, you know, we used to have a domestic cleaner, or we had a garden service, and so we yeah. had people. We don't have that anymore. So there's definitely, you have to adapt. So that's definitely happened from a lifestyle perspective. Yeah, it does feel like you have less time because you're doing a lot of other stuff. Yeah, you're doing a lot of stuff that you'd previously not be doing. Right. But you also, I guess, reprioritize as well. So you figure out what is important to you and what you can do without. Mm -hmm. I think also from a, from a, I guess, from a, like a food perspective, we flexed a little bit on that because you start to not have as much time, so you start to buy thing like food that's easier, quicker to make, or you're trying to make meals faster so that you have more time. So I think actually COVID has been a really great thing for us in that respect because we've we've gained all this time back because we're not commuting anymore. So that's been actually really beneficial to us. And yeah, so I think in term it's just like an adjustment in terms of like lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to that I guess lifestyle piece. Not in a bad way, but but it, just in a different way. Sure, right. So you spend more time yeah. focusing on like learning how to cook and making better meals, rather than just grabbing something yeah. on the way home. Absolutely, oh, that's yes. that's I've found yeah, the same. Like, if you, so like before, I would make spaghetti bolognese and I'd make it from scratch and I'd make the sauce or whatever. Now I'm like, hmm, I'll buy like something that's already kind of half pre-made that I can mm. like add to to make it quicker, so that I'm not making things from scratch. And this is on the weekend. So it's just a, like an adjustment in terms of how you prepare things. Right. Okay. So let's go into the relatively quick fire round of uh, rating your new home from one to 10 in the following quality of life categories. So number one is healthcare. Whew. Seven. So we're rating from one, one being terrible and 10 being amazing. So healthcare in the UK. Yeah. I'd say seven. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's 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 a it's a again sorry it's not an easy mm -hmm. <laughs> quick fire because private healthcare is very good right NHS is mm, okay it's free but it's mediocre but private healthcare is very good but very expensive right. we both have private healthcare so certain times we will go the private route which then is very powerful. But if we do go the NHS route, yeah, it's not always ideal. So things like you can't actually go see a specialist without going to your GP first. Yes. You have to get a referral letter for everything. Right. And sometimes your GP will not refer you. So then, and they'll only refer you if you, if you say that you will go private. 
So, right. so that's, you know, can be problematic. Right. I feel like that, that nullifies the quick fire round. Sorry, no, no, by giving, too much no, no, no. <laughs> giving a little bit of context is totally fine. And I get that there are different ratings for different people because, especially when it comes to healthcare, because a lot of people either have no experience of the healthcare system because they haven't had anything wrong with them or, you know, you do hear horror stories about the NHS and most people sing its praises, but some people also yeah. say, uh, for example, uh, when I interviewed Edward and Shelley, Shelley was saying, if you don't have something seriously wrong, you're going to wait forever. If they detect that you have cancer, then cool. You've got the best in the business kind of thing, but getting convincing someone that you have it is a problem. Yeah. yeah similar. So very much similar experience mm-hmm. um, on the NHS side. And that's why the private healthcare is quite beneficial, but you can't actually access a lot of the private stuff unless you get referral letters from you from your NHS GP. Right. And there's a, there's quotas and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I f- and I feel like my experience with the NHS is probably a little bit better than that, where going to the hospital, I had ear infection, mm-hmm. going to the hospital, you feel like you're in a government building, like a, it's not pretty, it's not beautiful, but you go, you see the doctor, you chat to them. They reluctant, very, very reluctant to give you any kind of medication. And then you leave and there's no cost. There's no one sending an invoice. Right. There's so that feels really good and it feels it, it's really nice to leave and then go there's no there's, there's no payment for this guy who's giving me advice medical advice and i'm done sure like yes but you also have to i guess question like the quality like if if there is a chance that there could be something more severe wrong with you yeah. they may not they may not flag it mm-hmm. because then it goes into like a whole big like chronic type of investigation and so in this example, um, <laughs> the guy told Warren to put olive oil in his ear. Oh, my God. And I have a different example where actually I had COVID in February of last year and I went to the walk-in clinic because I was couldn't breathe and the guy was like, go home and drink whiskey. So, <laughs> okay. so it's very... It's subje- a mixed, it's, mixed bag. It's subjective. Okay, yeah. cool. Mixed bag. <laughs> Education. And you can skip this one I if you don't think you have the context. Kind of not applicable to us, really, because we don't have kids. So okay, yeah, cool. I don't. Yeah, we don't have kids, so it's I, not really um, not relevant. Sure. Yeah. Number three, work opportunity. I would say an eight. I think there's a lot of opportunity in the UK. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I think that, that there are a lot of jobs. Even even with COVID now, there's a lot of positions. Like if you look at LinkedIn, there's a lot. I think we're lucky that we're not not looking for jobs, mm-hmm. but appears to be a lot and i know a lot of people within my company that are moving kind of coming in so yeah i think it's if you're comparing it to south africa it's obviously much better sure it's also quite interesting because obviously we're on sponsorship visas which are linked to the company that we work for it would seem that actually the big hurdle is to get the first sponsorship visa and then once you've been sponsored the government issues the sponsorship visa on the basis that you are that you are skilled enough to change jobs to different companies right so whilst i guess it is partially a concern or some it depends on the company and the industry some companies may not be as keen to take on a sponsored employee but it would seem that there has been a bit of a change in that now versus when I was here in 2010 um, or 20, whatever, 2005, where companies seem sort of more willing to take on employees that have been sponsored. Right. I was actually going to ask about that. Thanks for reminding me. So because your your visa is, is uh, based on the job sponsorship, if you decide to leave the company, what position does that leave you in? 
so technically we would have to leave we would have to leave the UK but we are both on our independent sponsorships so we're both on our own independent visas so for that reason I guess we're a little bit double protected because if I decided to leave my company, I could go into Warren's visa. Right. And if Warren decided to leave his company, he could come to my visa. Right. And in terms of moving from one company to the other, I I so have done that. And it's a relatively easy switch from one company to the second company, as long as they're still willing to kind of put, there's like admin on their side to continue the sponsorship. Mm -hmm. But as long as they're willing and keen to do it, it's an easy switch. Right. Okay. Awesome. I think we've already talked about weather, so let's talk about arts and culture. That's a 10, right? Yes. Yeah, I think there's there's so much to do in the UK. There's just, like, this is where history comes from, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> England, where the history is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, you've got the West End and uh, once it's open again and all kinds of stuff going on, which is great. And whenever there's a band traveling, like it seems to be like the UK or and Europe is like always like top of the list for kind of international bands. So yeah. yeah, it's just there's a lot of access to that kind of thing. Right. Restaurants and food. I would say I'm gonna say a seven. Mm -hmm. Because you're picky. No. Because <laughs> because we have, they have amazing restaurants and food, like some of the best in the world, but it comes with the price tag. Mm -hmm. Right. So like if you want to go to a really great restaurant, you're going to have to spend a lot of money. And the equivalent in South Africa, you would not need to spend nearly as much money to yeah, yeah to have the same experience. So based on that, I'm giving it a seven. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that's it. If you want, like, there's everything from, like, cheap and nasty kebabs all the way up to like gourmet and as long as you, if you're willing to pay you're going to get really good stuff but you're going to have you're going to pay yeah uh, the impression i'm getting though is that your run of the mill your like that the prices for that gourmet food are prohibitive and that your average suburban restaurant is slightly lower level than what you would see in, in south africa yeah yeah i would definitely agree with that okay i think going to a nice restaurant is a treat mm -hmm. yeah it's not a like a in South Africa, you could do it regularly. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And lastly, opportunity to travel. I think that's a 10 as well. Obviously, we're talking outside of COVID, yes. but... Flights. I would say nine because it requires us to have visas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Shame. So that, that is, that is the tricky thing. Which is a real thing. pain. <laughs> yeah, the whole Schengen thing is, is, a night, is a mission. Yeah. But look, with Brexit, the... The, the UK is feeling the same the same irritation. Please, man, they pay like seven pounds at the know, border. But it's still a pain. Anyway, um, travel, I, I would say, is like accessible, like super accessible. Like you can, flights are cheap. There's flight specials. Like it's just, it's so easy to do. All right. Um, this is a random question, but what is the deal with the Channel Tunnel now? Because it used to be you could just jump on the train and go to France. I mean, can you apply for a Schengen in the station or when you arrive or is it... Yeah. So there's a like you you apply at the the station and it's like a visa on arrival for South Africans. No, for, for, for Europeans. Brits. So for UK people that want to go, sorry, <laughs> for UK people that want to go into the Schengen area, it's a visa on arrival and it's I can't it's other five or seven pounds regardless oh. if it's train or whatever. For South Africans, it's always been there's a border post, there's a yes, border control, but right. there's. Yeah, so the, you have to have the right documentation for them to let you in. 
Okay. So it hasn't significantly impacted the experience of just jumping on a train and heading into France for no, for UK citizens. That. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, otherwise it would probably but destroy the Eurostar their business. Eurostar is the same price as a flight, so. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, how easy or difficult has it been to integrate into the language, the culture? Never mind the language, that's not really an issue, but the uh, the culture in, in London and the UK. As you said, because of the pandemic, you haven't had that much of a chance to socialize beyond the friends that you already have over there. Any other kind of like strange weirdnesses about moving to London? I think the one thing for me was that the the work culture is actually quite different. Mm-hmm. And the way people are at work is very different to our South African culture. So in South Africa, we're quite direct, but we're very open and honest and friendly. And I find the UK work culture can be quite sort of a little bit of misdirection. Mm. Okay. <laughs> sort of, it's a, a, a bit of a... Yeah, and that and that can be quite tough because it's yeah it's culturally just very different to what we're like, and unless you can adapt to that, yeah, it it can be quite difficult. I think it also depends on sort of like who you're directly working with as well, and sort of like what they're like. Right. But yeah, uh, there's that, and then from a but I think from a, I guess from a culture side of things, I mean there are so many diverse cultures in the UK that I don't think that. Yeah, that that I think it's such a mixed pot of different people that's mm-hmm. actually like British culture. I don't know how alive and well that is because there are just, you don't actually, you meet a lot of people that live in the UK but are not British. Right. Yeah, I've, I've heard in one of my interviews it was like the that English and British culture lives outside of London and out, in, to a degree outside of a big city like Manchester as well where there's it's such a melting pot that actually it's just a whole bunch of people who don't come from England living in the same place in England. But if you go up to you know Norfolk or something like that, then suddenly it becomes very British and yeah. uh, very different. So lastly, what advice would you give people considering moving to your new home? Do you want to go? You want to talk about moving furniture so i think that was a that was a big learning piece for us is i think because we had a lot of expenses covered as nikki said we had a container so we were like let's we're going to take everything we're going to take dishwasher lounge no no no, no. Street, that was your decision whatever we, as a <laughs> team, we, as a team we decided anyway getting to the uk South African furniture is not modular. It does not break up. It stays in one piece. And yeah. a lot of the doors and staircases are narrow and steep. Right. And you will not get it in. And unlike South Africa, there's not people who who, who want, like who need. So yeah. you, have, you have to pay people to get rid of it. You, you won't, you'll struggle to sell it. And if you, you more than likely won't, and you'll have to pay someone to come collect it for a charity. Right. Yeah. Okay. We have a very funny story because we told that we have other friends that moved and they decided to bring their fridge. They had this double door fridge that they were totally in love with. And they decided to bring the fridge and we were like, don't do it. <laughs> anyway, and it's currently being used as a closet in their apartment <laughs> because, <laughs> because it doesn't, um, they don't need it. And they refuse to give it away to charity because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And- anyway, and there's, there's no market for secondhand fridges because those things just, yeah. That people just buy the new, but also yeah. all, all the places you rent or buy, they all they've all got pretty much what, like white goods included. So it'll come with a dishwasher, washing machine, and a fridge, like kind of built in. Okay, so you, you don't actually need that. So I, th- I think that like was one of the pieces of advice would be like bring less than what you think you need because to replace it here is actually a bit cheaper than South Africa. Yeah, yeah. When I interviewed Edward and Shelley, they said that you can get pretty good deals on Facebook Marketplace, and yeah. and you've got IKEA, which is right. 
it's a treat. And we, we always laugh because our, our lounge suite never fits it through the front door. So we removed a wall in the middle of the house to get it into the TV room. So, <laughs> yeah. So like, I think to me that that's, that's one of the tips is bring less than what you think you need. Like, I think keep sentimental things, but like. Don't bring the tat. Yeah. Don't bring. Um, because literally I think I had to pay, I won't go into the whole story, but we, when we were inundated with things in our house in Teddington, when the container arrived, um, Warren went to Dubai to go watch UFC and left me to unpack all the boxes. And I ended up paying, I think it ended up being like 80 or a hundred pounds for people just to remove stuff. Right. And some of it was full pieces of furniture to go take it to the dump because I just didn't like I didn't know what to do with all the stuff and I, you can't leave it. I couldn't leave it outside because it was winter and it was raining. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it ended up being a bit of a, a dog show. The other thing I was just going to say is that budget for wardrobes, mm-hmm. because none of the houses that you move into will have wardrobes. Oh, like- Alton cupboards mm-hmm. are a rare commodity. <laughs> uh, even if you buy or rent a house. Mm-hmm. So even if you rent, you're going to need wardrobes and Sometimes you can buy them from the people that you are renting the house from, or like if there's wardrobes that are being Previous left behind. Otherwise, or... you do need to supply those for yourselves. Yeah, and I think the other piece of piece of advice, and as as we mentioned earlier, like moving the dog was probably the most stressful thing for us because it's that he's on the plane on his own, mm. doesn't know what's going on. Like you're relying on other people to to take care of that. So that that was our most stressful piece. It probably. Looking back at it, it definitely didn't need to be. So Tyson got here. He was absolutely fine. He got mm-hmm. off. We fetched him. He was happy to see us. He went for a walk and he's like, cool, I'm with you guys. So right. it felt like there's a lot of stress like put onto it because it's all in your head where it's actually m- much less stressful than f- for, for the dog than what, what it's going to be for you. Right. So I think that to me that that, that was a, that, that's the one piece of advice that I wish someone had told me. It's like, don't worry about the dog. It'll be fine. Yeah. The other thing we did was when we were looking at the dog, I joined Facebook groups to to understand, to kind of get people's advice on moving pets and things. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of kind of positive and negative feedback. So I actually ended up leaving the group because it was just too much information. Like speak to speak to the service, the company that you're using, get everything from them. And yeah, I think yeah, pay someone to do it because it's just much better and safer and yeah. uh, much easier and straight, yeah. less stressful. Mm. Yeah. And also they wouldn't be in business if they were, you know, traumatizing pets. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing that I was going to say, which has just evaded my mind, sorry. <laughs> Fill a container with Woolworths Chuckles, the red packet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was actually just wanted to drop back for a second onto the word wardrobe because when you said that, I thought you were talking about clothes. And I wonder if you should have anything in your budget for, you know, rebuilding a, a London-worthy wardrobe. To be honest, I don't, I don't think... So I think if going from South Africa to a really hot country, I think maybe yes. But if you come into the, to the UK, you're going to get here and you're going to buy jackets and coats. So I, I don't think. Yeah, I also think don't buy it in South Africa because you need insulated stuff. You mm. need you need stuff that's waterproof and insulated, and you don't really get that in South Africa. And if you do, it's very expensive. Where here you can buy it from like ASOS, and it costs nothing. Yeah. So it's much cheaper here. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't buy it back home in preparation of your move. Just buy it when you get here. Yeah. Right. Right. Has that uh, thing that evaded you returned yet? No. <laughs> it's, I Sorry. feel like it's a piece of gold and you're going to put know. down the phone. Oh, and... I thought you were going to say. 
10 o'clock tonight, yeah. you're going to message me and go, oh my God, if they don't know this, they're all going to die. You can send me a voice note. Yes. <laughs> cool, guys. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for your time and that information, that insight into, into life in London and St. Albans. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, making yourselves available for the show. No problem at all. No we problem. Hope, like, yeah, I hope it helps someone. I think, yeah, for us, like we're happy to be here. So yeah, yeah like, I think we're very happy and we're grateful to be in the UK. And I don't think we would, like, we wouldn't go back. It's been... Never say never. <laughs> Why do you keep leaving the door open? Um, the door's always open. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. I've had a lot of conversations where, like, there's a lot of, like, oh, really? You, you don't think that? Or you do think that? Or yeah. people like looking like they're about to have a domestic as soon as they finish the conversation no, uh, no, no. Yeah, we, we're definitely on the same page but i you know I, th- look, I think both of us are very happy here so i think it feels it always feels like a long road to get here but and i would say the first six months is really really tough like it's adjusting to new everything mm. but it definitely gets better right yeah i would say that it hasn't really felt like home and probably until like after about a year mm-hmm. is when it started to feel like more practically home. Yeah. 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 Up until then it sort of, it still felt like there was still this like yearning to go home. Mm. Like you chose an Airbnb in a place with the worst weather. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So actually that's what I was going to say is that one of the big benefits of living here is obviously the e- like e-commerce and, and the fact that like everything can be delivered to you online and Literally, you don't need to ever go to a shop. You can, not that environmentally friendly, but but if you needed to, everything could be delivered to your door. And that's that convenience is quite uh, powerful. True. If you think about like your time from a time perspective, like things that are saving you time, that convenience of having access to e-commerce has made a big difference to me because mm. things like ordering vitamins, I don't have to go to on a barrel to go and buy vitamins i can just order them online and have them delivered once a month yeah absolutely I mean, you have to kind of at our i say our age and and you know when you're very busy with your career and or in my case with uh with with ben like those little moments that you can grab back from exactly. you know and in your case doing your own housekeeping and doing your own garden and all that kind of thing like every second saved is is valuable you know yeah cool cool guys thank you so much for being on the show thanks for having us cool and uh have a a excellent rest of your summer because winter is coming we're getting summer very soon don't go there (laughs) we're not ready we'll be in south africa for a hello in summer so awesome in south africa summer cool awesome thanks very much guys thanks john bye john south african expats is produced by jonathan vanka and brought to you by ping productions